Hello and welcome once again to Ask the Ed. This time it's Lucky 13. Though unlucky for you lot as you have to put up with me once more. I've never got why 13 is seen as unlucky, but towers usually miss out the 13th floor and I can remember when we moved into one home and there was no number 13 in the street. It had me really confused at the time as I would have only been about 5. A lot of footballers would refuse to wear number 13 in the days for squad numbers as they are a superstitious lot. I suppose I can't laugh at them as I am horribly superstitious myself, but only about football. But I do have good reason to be superstitious as the gravy stain on my shirt once cost Liverpool the league title. Actually, no, it was not the gravy stain that cost Liverpool. It was the it was my then girlfriend. I'd gone round to her house wearing a Liverpool shirt for a Sunday roast. As Liverpool played that day and one of my superstitions is that I always wear a shirt when we play. Anyway, being the sophisticated person that I am, I managed to spill gravy down the front of my shirt, but we won, so I refused to wash the gravy stain off in case it was lucky. It was the Roy Evans days then, and we went on a big, long, unbeaten streak. I would wear the shirt just for the game and then put it away in the wardrobe afterwards. This went on for months, and Liverpool were top of the league in a two-horse race for the title with Manchester United. Then one day, I went out and came home to find that she could take no more of seeing the gravy stain and had washed my shirt for me. Needless to say, Liverpool's title ta- challenge collapsed and despite being in a two-horse race, they ended up finishing the season in sixth. Now, I never forgave her either and never will. I know the media spin the story as it was despised boys and Roy's lack of discipline that cost Liverpool then, but the truth is that it was an idiot girlfriend and a washing machine that was at fault. So yes, I am also superstitious, but 13 is my lucky number, so this podcast should be fine and have no issues at all. Fingers crossed. Our first question today is from the Chelsea site, and Gianfranco Gola asks... Hi Ed, why has Eddie Howe never been looked at by bigger clubs? Is he bankrolled by a rich owner or has a small club keeping them in Prem easily every year not seen as good management? Well, first off, he is very much bankrolled by Bournemouth's very own Russian billionaire oligarch, Maxim Denim. That is why the club can afford to invest heavily in the transfer market each season and why, in effect, they reach the Premier League in the first place. As for how, well, there are a number of reasons other than needing money to spend he is not being poached. For one, he admits him, he is, himself he is terrible in the transfer market, so that limits the clubs that would even consider hiring him. Secondly, and worst of all, his team's defending has been utterly inept and disorganised since the day he started. If he did no coaching at all on defensive shape or systems, then they would probably defend better than they do now. It is worrying that even though he tries to work on it, they simply cannot defend. They're all over the place at the back and that is why they are so inconsistent. The next question is from a regular question asker, Silverhead off the Liverpool site, who says, I see your pal Rick Parry has taken charity of the EFL. This can surely only make things ten times worse. What's your take on the relationships between the EFL and the clubs, the main problems and how on God's green earth Dick is supposed to be any help whatsoever? In my opinion, it's a huge mistake, but Prick is very good at talking himself into jobs he has absolutely no idea how to do, making a huge mess of them and then telling everyone it was someone else's fault it all went tits up. There's always a huge amount of excuses and finger-pointing from him in other directions from him, which meant he keeps getting these jobs. The problem is, no one seems to do any research when they hire someone. They just allow what someone says in an interview to decide it, which is a terrible way of picking someone for a job. The EFL is a mess as it is. The rules are totally reactive and no one is showing forethought and thinking, this might become a problem, we should do something about this. 
Instead, they wait until it becomes a problem, then shut the stable door while the horse is already halfway round the national course. I would have said he could get no worse, but I have great faith in Prick Parry's ability to make it far worse. I don't think Parry will have any problem dealing with the clubs per se. It's the fans he is arrogant and dismissive of. The way he acted when Liverpool's CEO towards the fans was a disgrace. He treated them with disdain, looked down his nose at them, completely forgetting he was only in the role in the first place because he was one of those Liverpool fans he was now dismissing as unimportant. Clubs in the lower, lower leagues need a much closer relationship with their fans to compete with the lure their Premier League clubs. Fans are vital to them. If Parry can't get his head out of his backside and start treating fans with respect, then he's going to cause problems, which will see clubs turn against him. Another question from the Liverpool site, this time from Jammo76, who asks, I've read an article on the Sky website today saying we've paid City a million quid because we've been spying on their scouting network. Do you have any information on this matter? Actually, this is old news, very old news, in fact. The offence was a few years ago when a few Man City's data analysts jumped ship to Liverpool, but City didn't change the logins to lock them out of their system. So they continued to use the data there. Silly thing to do, they were always going to get caught as they would have been logged in by the system each time, and Liverpool were quite rightly fined. Someone should have been aware they were doing this and told them to stop and then flagged up the security issue with City. Hopefully lessons have been learned on all sides. Now on to the Manchester United site and a question from MBD. Do you think it is fair to compare the Newcastle fans kicking against Ashley to United's Toxics? Not really, I've got to say. While both owners are making sure to fill their pockets, at least United are still being left with enough money to compete financially with the top clubs in the world. It's just being badly used. Plus, most of United's so-called toxics are only complaining about no longer winning trophies, rather than just a general comp- campaign against the complete arse of an owner. Most of the United fans who are against the ownership have moved on to get behind FC United, so it is a slightly different situation. Now on to the Everton site, and Swan asks, What's your thoughts on Rafa Benitez? Do you think he's a good manager still, or are his tactics outdated? Do you think he'd come to Everton? And if he did, do you think he would do a good job? And how would you rate his performances at Newcastle and Napoli? Thank you. Well, to start with, yes, I think he would go to Everton if the offer was right. I don't mean in terms of salary. It would be about control. Would he have any say in transfers? He would not take a job where he's just handed players and told to use them. He doesn't want interference in team selection either, like he had at Real Madrid, where he was never allowed to pick the team he wanted to, but then Zidane used that same team that he wanted to pick to win the Champions League. Rafa is still a good manager, not the best, but a good Premier League level manager. For Everton, he would probably be perfect, maybe, in many ways, but I'm not sure he would get the fans back in, which would hold him back badly. If he could win over the fans, he could turn the club back the right way. Certainly he could hold Everton in a competitive position, fighting for a top four position. Napoli did not handle well, though he did lay good foundations. It was just a bit of a mess he took over. And well, you only have to look at how they've got on without, you know, since he's, with a lot of the players he brought in, how they've continued to, to challenge at the top of the Serie A. Newcastle he did well. When you consider the club was a net of shambles when he stepped in, when you have an owner refusing to pay for players you want and then buying players you don't, you're always in a losing situation. It's a shame because Ashley and Charnley were deliberately obstructed because they did not want a manager so beloved of the fans as it made their position even more difficult. So it's difficult to judge him on that one. 
Next is Roro 1892 from the Liverpool site who asks, All right, Ed, mate, my question is, in your opinion, compared to football before every player was a millionaire, how much does the money in today's football affect the player's attitude in the game? Did they try harder years ago or more now, or is it the same? Cheers, mate. It's a very different world now. Back in the old days, they were playing much more football in much harder conditions. They did it out of love, so they put their heart into it. Now they are much fitter due to improvements in training and nutrition, so can work harder on the pitch. However, there are a lot of them who do not put their heart and soul into it as they're just doing it for the money now, rather than love of the game. Swings and roundabouts, really. Some some better, some try harder, some don't. Another question from the Liverpool site is this one from AH. Got a question for Ed, one for your Ask the Ed podcast. Before Alison Becker came into Liverpool, we had struggled for many years with goalkeepers. I remember you saying at the time that John Achterberg was not a great great goalkeeping coach, but was really liked within the club. Has JA improved as a goalkeeping coach, or is it just that he is working with the best in the world? Well, the point I was making is that Achterberg was a rookie coach, just learning his way initially and needed help while he learned his role. Now he's completed all these coaching badges and become experienced and a much better coach. It was just a poor decision to throw him in at the deep end with no one to help him. He should have been guided to this point, working under a top-class goalkeeping coach until he was ready to take over. Instead, he was just cast adrift and left to find his own way. Luckily, he's headed mostly the right way. However, he's also being helped by having a lot better goalkeepers to work with now than he had in the beginning. Not just Allison, but the backups and youngsters are of a much better level than they were when he arrived. Next is another question from Zed Special One off the Liverpool site. Well, there's actually two questions, so I'll answer it in two parts. Right, first part is, Hi Ed, what's your opinion on what's happened with Milan in the past decade or so? They used to be Champions League regulars and Serie A title challenges, but they can barely string together back-to-back wins anymore. I know financial mismanagement must have been one of the big factors, but even then they've managed to sign one or two decent players, but it seems like the team never managed to perform together. Well, it is about the financial mismanagement. They may have had one or two decent players, but they're in constant turmoil with owners that have no idea about the game. They were selling players they needed and keeping ones they didn't. The club is a mess from top to bottom, and the team know that, and so their head is not 100% in the game. Also, the team is not well constructed. They need bringing together as a group, but that leads into the next question. Which is, also, why do they have an aversion to signing big-name managers? Granted, a big reputation doesn't automatically mean a good manager, but they seem to always target managers from mid-table in Serie A and then wonder why those managers lead the team to mid-table in the league. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Cheers, Ed. Well, it's simple, really. They can't afford to pay for the big names. Now it is the turn of Hailstones, who wants to know... What is your verdict on Martin Odegaard, Ed? He's fabulously talented, brimming with skill and quality, just needs a proper home to thrive. Do you think he would be suited to the Prem? And also, is there an attitude problem with him or what? Because Madrid don't seem to be too arsed with playing him. He's just a kid who thinks too much of himself. Yes, he has ability in spades, but there's more to being a top-class player than having ability. Learning to do flicks and tricks is the easy bit. The difficult part is learning when and how to use your ability for the best effect of the team as a whole, and not just to look good on a highlight reel. That is something you learn best by playing regular first-team competitive football. The problem is that a team like Real Madrid is simply not in a position to carry him in the position he plays while he learns the game. If he wasn't so full of himself, he would have had the sense to go elsewhere and not jump straight to Madrid before he was ready. 
he should have taken a step between. That's the problem with youngsters. They're impatient. They want everything now rather than waiting for the right time. I know I certainly did at his age, which is why having the right advisors around them is particularly important. Right, and then it's Doug LFC from the Liverpool site who asks, Hi mate, just wondering if you know much about the under-18s. A player called Leighton Stewart. Just how the club rate, rate him, I'm assuming that means. Kid's a baller. Well, he's just a promising kid. The club have become wary of revealing any excitement about young players, to be honest. The, the uh, players then get ahead of themselves and start expecting to be first-team regulars if they hear about it. You only have to look at what happened with Bobby Duncan to see why it's... The club prefers not to talk too much about young players coming through now. Anyway, there we have it for another Ask the Ed. But before I go, I'd just like to give a shout-out to AOE from the Liverpool site and congratulate him on the success of his novel, Spark City. Though there does seem to be some kind of error at the publishers, as in the acknowledgements section, there is no mention of me at all. Clearly some kind of oversight there, as I did nothing to help, gave absolutely no encouragement and had no involvement whatsoever. What more do I have to do to get a mention?